0: Welcome again to For and Against, the home of the exploration of the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here as always, and joining me in Talking Sports Seriously, sometimes, is two very good friends and colleagues. First of all, Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. Always love to be serious with you, Roachy. Good to be here. Indeed. And the sometimes part is Stephen Riley coming in from the Melbourne end. How are you going, Riles?
1: Am I sometimes serious, sometimes not? But I'm, I'm always here. Well, actually, that's not true either. Okay, fair point.
0: Bye. Certainly the enigmatic Stephen Riley there. Coming up, we'll cast our eye over Ben Stokes' retirement from the 50-over game and look at what it tells us about that format. Basketball has broken the sacred seal, with the NBL announcing it will take to the court on Christmas Day. We'll be joined a little later by uh, Sydney Kings co-owner Paul Smith to mull that one over. Somehow Live Golf gets a Guernsey yet again, O. and Woo-hoo. we'll wrap it up with red card, yellow card, where, as usual, we take pleasure in taking the mick out of our sports heroes and others who have erred off the field of play. If you have the social media type, you can get us on Twitter at four and against underscore, on Insta, for, dot, and, dot, against. Let's get into the show. Look, Boxing Day has, for a long time, been one of the biggest days in the sporting calendar in Australia with the Boxing Day test and Sydney to Hobart. Contrasting nicely with the quiet serenity of Christmas Day, well, recently the BBL has talked about playing on the 25th of December, but the NBL has beaten them to the punch, announcing recently that the Sydney Kings will play Melbourne United in Sydney on Christmas Day 2022. And Jono... I'm not sure I like it. How do you feel about this one?
2: You're not sure that you like mm. it. I think it's a fantastic idea. I'm a big fan. There's yeah. a rich history of playing sport on Christmas Day, so you know why not? I in think this country, is, there is indeed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sounds well, like- I mean, it all started for Australians back on the uh, the battlefield in World War One, when you had this, you know, the
0: Allies playing the Germans. Wow, that's that's drawing a bow and a half. It is, but you know, there's some history there. Uh huh. your initial thoughts. On this development in the Australian my landscape? initial
1: thoughts are: this is commercially questionable on so many levels. But but fortune favors the brave, and and we'll be talking to the brave shortly. So so you know, I hold hold back and see.
0: Well, let's bring him now. We're joined now by one of the main drivers of this revolutionary change, co-owner and chair of the Kings, Paul Smith. Paul, thanks for joining us in the studio. Welcome to the show. That's no, good to be here live. Good to be here. Paul, you have broken through one of the last frontiers in Australian sport, to yep. quote the King's article at the time. Mm-hmm. Playing basketball on Christmas Day is, of course, no B. Dylan states. So now, how much of this move mm-hmm. was influenced by trying to achieve that sort of normality versus the attraction of first mover advantage in, in this sporting market in Australia? Because presumably a sport such as yourself needs to take every opportunity mm-hmm. to make themselves make itself heard against the major, major codes.
3: Yeah, look look, I think it's an interesting question and it's a bit of a combination of both. I'd say that it's probably put a pie chart on it. I'd say it's more 75% first mover advantage, 25% the precedent is there. You know, what we know about our fan base in basketball and around the Sydney Kings, they're hugely interested in the NBA. That's a massive driver mm. of, of interest and and watching the sport, consuming the sport and consuming everything around the sport. And, you know, that that whole notion of a Christmas Day game has sort of lived and breathed there successfully. But it's obviously very foreign here, a very, very foreign thing. And to that point, you know, we really believe that we've got to take our team and we've got to help take the league out to places that no one else goes before. And ironically, when you sit back and look at the landscape of the sporting calendar today, Christmas Day is the last domain. I, I don't know why. I When I grew up, you know, Good Friday was a sacrosanct day and Easter Monday or mm. Easter Sunday was, you know, That was a really special day and today that's all, it's mad hatting sport everywhere. So for some reason it's sort of been left alone and I I don't know why but our view was look, let's have a crack at it, give it a shot and to the point of fortune favours the brave or you know, we might be stupid, we'll find out.
2: (laughs) You make a um, a really interesting and good point, I think, Paul, in relation to the comparison with the U.S. Um, and the fact that it's obviously <laughs> been played, or you've had Christmas games mm-hmm. over in the U.S. for a long period. Both, I think, not only in basketball but also in NFL, from what I understand, there's been NFL games yeah. scheduled for some time. Is one of the issues that you have to confront, though? I guess dealing with player concerns about being able to play on that day, and you know, is is the unionized nature of sporting teams an issue there to try and you know get uh, all the appropriate approvals that need to be got to to put on an event on Christmas Day.
3: Yeah, look, and we don't deal directly with the players' association. It's not our domain. That's the role of the league in that regard. So, we certainly canvassed our own players. There was certainly a conversation that I had with players during the previous season, just getting their thoughts on it. The, again, that feeding back to that the, the principle of the the, the pro high-profile nature of Christmas Day games in the United States. You know. Our players want to play on this day, I guarantee that. They're they're keen for it. Bear in mind if we weren't playing, they'd probably be practicing Christmas Day mm. in a gym with no one there. They're gonna work out on Christmas Day because we might have a game Boxing Day, we might have a we might have had a game Christmas Eve. You never know. You know, we don't know what that draw looks like. But, you know, from our side, we think there's buy player buy-in into it. You know, we initially were very strongly proponents to the league of playing Illawarra so that guys could sort of be home in the morning and then come up in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. But the league took the view that they wanted a big TV game. And I think that's very important to point out here that we're going to view this through two lenses. As an owner of the team, and I get paid when people walk into the building, I'm focused on attendance. That's a big issue mm-hmm. for us and how we achieve that. But more importantly, and and very, very critically, even from our own perspective, is we want to build a TV audience. And... I really believe that the mere fact that I'm sitting in a you know an exotic beautiful well appointed studio like this tonight <laughs> <laughs> points S-E, out I need that. Your heart out. People are people are literally talking about this which would never happen. Why why would you talk about the NBL in July? Yeah. Why would you talk about the NBL in July? And we've really achieved what we wanted to achieve was put ourselves in a conversation. And I, I really think that I think that's where we're going to view the success of this is the, the TV viewership and we're going to introduce ourselves to an audience that may have just sampled us previously or never had a reason to sit down and they might have stumbled upon a game but they've never had a destination to sit and watch the game. I think it's really exciting from that perspective and we, you know, we're prepared to back ourselves on it. So, Paul, when, when are you choosing
1: to play the game? Is it going to be scheduled prime time on Christmas night or are you picking that period in the afternoon when people are relaxing with a full belly and maybe a beer, how, how have you thought through, have you thought, because I really think this is, I, I don't mean to make too much fun of it, and but it, it is a real commercial decision to own the space. The first move advantage has that potential of being the traditional Christmas Day sporting event is sitting down to watch the basketball.
3: Yeah, look, and the scheduling, the timing of the game was driven by a couple of things. Is One is that, you know, getting staff in the building, it's not so much our personnel, but it's the building operations staff. Mm. If, we're a, if we're at a stage of 4 p.m. game or something like that to lead into the 6 p.m. news, that's going to really back into people's days. So we're playing at 7.30 p.m. There was always a plan to have a, an evening game. You know, we we're going to pick up that, that sort of uh, primetime audience and probably an audience that doesn't cluster right now around television at, on Christmas night. Unless they're watching Netflix or something like that, watching a rerun of you know National Lampoon or something like that, so <laughs> for the twentieth you know, yeah, time, yeah. And look, it's interesting. Look, a lot of journalists have said to me, "Look, they really love the idea. They love. They've got something to write about now. You know, they're not sitting around. You know, describing um, the wicketkeeper for the Australian cricket team practicing in the car park. You know, at the hotel. You know, the classic Christmas Day stories that trot out, or talking about the Sydney the Hobart previously race. unknown yeah. yacht. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so we're sort of we're tapping into something there. So the scheduling was was more by the reality of the circumstances and and the logistics of it, but also being out of respect to." people's time to have time with their family in the morning and through the day as well.
0: So what's been the reaction of those who are a bit more Christmas focused I mean we're becoming a more secular society you know the recent census data w- reveal that less and less people are identifying with, with godliness but I think I mean you know I, I was honest at the front there where I sort of said given the preference I would like to keep that day free so we can all just take a breath and not mm. have anything on that day but so what's the reaction been and, and I know when we when we spoke a little bit before when we were arranging this you said that recently you'd been interviewed by the Catholic Weekly. Yeah today I had so a, an out one <laughs> Our interview. With what's the what's Weekly. the vibe there, and how how did that sort of discussion go?
3: Look, we are we are currently being focused on by a lot of Christian groups, the, the right I'd say right leaning Christian groups that are calling for uh, bans on the Sydney Kings and on our sponsors on the NBL and Hungry Jacks, particularly. Mm. I think that's pretty extremist view. I think generally the the resistance has been look, I just don't like it, and I I accept that. And my view is, and we have not formed a sophisticated. PR campaign here with a lot of talking points and a lot of messaging and trying to sort of sort of manage manage the message. We we've, we've sort of let this flow. We're pretty simply a basketball club that wants to play on Christmas Day. That's what we want to do. But it has
0: turned into quite good PR for you. It, it has I, it been good, say.
3: and and we thought there'd be something in it. We didn't think it'd be as this big, but the reaction has been. Look, I'm just not buying it. I'm not interested in it, but I think they'll be secretly watching. I think there's a bit of that. Um, but look, I, I respect the opposite view. I respect it. My conversations have not been arguing against their view. My conversations have been pointing towards wh- reasons why we're doing it. What's the why in all this? And let me assure everyone that's listening here tonight, all 11 of you, there's... <laughs> <laughs> 11, <laughs> hi mum, 11 million. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> we're boosting. But uh, 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 we are not making, this is not a money-making exercise. If I get out of this even, I'll be delighted. That'll be the best Christmas gift we get. But you know what we're doing is investing in building the profile of our club building ourselves into the conversation, and we've achieved that. You
0: know? I think I read – sorry, John, I think I read some of the costs would be at double putting on a normal yeah, game, presumably pretty, to a, penalty rates. Sunday,
3: so Sunday attracts penalty rates, but Christmas Day is a triple timer, and so it's, a, it's basically double the cost, yeah. Interested,
2: Um, you know, given that we're having this chat, to think about things that are more macro level and, and interested in your perspective as to how basketball in Australia is going at the moment. I mean, I, I was a, a casual fan back in the – Late 80s, early 90s would head out to mm. the kingdom a lot. Mm. I mean, that was the year of Bob Turner, Dwayne McLean, mm-hmm. Steve Carfino. Um, and fa- it was fantastic, you know, yeah. 10,000 10, people in the Entertainment Centre yeah. every Friday or Saturday night. You know, basketball in 2022, where does it sit and what are the objectives over the next little while?
3: Uh, look, it's it's an interesting take, and I think about this a lot. And I, you know, a friend of mine invited some fri- some friends of hers to a game last year, and they said, "Yeah, it's great. We should get Chinese before the game." <laughs> <laughs> they st- still think we're playing. It, you the entertainment. <laughs> 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 and you go, what do they think? That there's an office building there, right? You know, but. So there's all this recent it's not recency bias it's non recency bias everything was better back then look mm. the entertainment center was a shit building it's not, it was,
0: not even there anymore it was a horseshoe shaped
3: <laughs> venue for concerts it was yeah. not a basketball arena so yeah. but anyway it was it will be the kingdom and it always will be the kingdom but look it's interesting when I I'm an observer and a thinker through these things and I look at the, I look at why we've arrived where we are Basketball in the 80s and 90s was what it was as an NBL product because there was no NBA product. You might get one game on TV a week if you can mm. find it. There might be a highlights package. There was nothing called the internet. There was no way to consume, and, and, but you've got very little access to the NBA. Today, it's everywhere. It's wall to wall. So the largest proportion of basketball fans in this country are NBA fans. Yeah, They're not NBL fans, and they probably skew towards NBL snobs. They don't mm. think it's good enough. Oh, it's okay. not what it is. And wh- and I, I'm not fighting that. I accept that. I accept that. We have a cohort of fans in Sydney now in sort of an avid consumers of basketball. In Sydney, there's about 1.1 million. About 100,000 of them are avid NBL fans. A million are avid mm. NBA fans. And they take a casual, if, if at all, casual passing interest in the NBL. What we've got to do is bridge into that. So our approach with basketball and the development of the game, as we see it throughout our, our platform, is that we've, we can't be angry at the million that don't come to our games. We've got to find ways to engage with them. And so part of our strategy is playing a style of play that starts to reflect what the NBA is about. Hmm. So we had, we've had we had two U.S. coaches. We won a championship last season. We play a very five-out NBA-style basketball game. It's It's a smaller ball game. It's faster. It's a lot of... It's a lot of fast break, up and down, high pace basketball. And we know that, that attracts fans. We saw that. We saw that, you know, the, the typical Aussie basketball is ground and pound and get in the paint and box it up and all these sorts of things. We, we play another way. And we're trying to change the equation there. The way we present our game, the way, and that's the beauty of Kudos Bank Arena where we play. It's a magnificent basketball arena, it's, it's 18,000 seater built for basketball built for, it, for the 2000 it? Olympics. Mm. When that joint goes, it's the best, you know. And many we have when the USA played Canada here in Sydney a couple of years ago. I dinner with one of the players from the US after the game, and he said that's as good as any NBA runner ever played in. <laughs> okay. well, yeah,
0: I saw the Opals semi-final at the Olympics uh, back in two thousand. <laughs> there you go.
3: Yeah,
1: Paul, I think uh, I think it's interesting. Kudos is, is fantastic, and RAC in in Perth is is fantastic, but I think they're the only two stadiums that sort of clear 10,000 consistently. Melbourne Melbourne when they're playing well, I think the the fair weather fans get on board. Being the sporting capital of the world there's other sports to to <laughs> see down here true. of course. Yeah. But um my my question was really going to relate to how big a dent in your stride did covid put because I reckoned in 2018-19 basketball was just getting up some momentum. The NBL crowds were going up uh, and then COVID hit. How do you think it's coming back?
3: Well, we're in 2020. We ended up not finishing the final series against Perth, you might recall. Mm. We we withdrew. That's a whole other mm. 10 podcasts, that story. Mm-hmm. But um, we achieved a record crowd that year. In I want to say it was in November, I think, of 2019. We got 17,514 wow. now for a game against Dillawarra. Now, there was a young man called Lamello Ball playing, so that helped. But we'd, we'd worked hard to build that rivalry with little warrior into the freeway series, and it's become something that people put on their calendar now. But, yeah, we, we walked into the biggest buzzsaw that ever existed, which was COVID. And it wasn't just us, it was sport generally. And, you know, as I always reflect, that sport was ultimately an incredibly unprepared for that. Mm. Um, I, I founded a company here in Australia, which I took global in sports research. And one of my pitches in with clients was always to say the predictability of sport it wasn't the result that was predictable it was the occurrence that was predictable you know i used to argue that you know um, the greatest entertainment platforms have disappeared american idol you know you name it these great entertainment movie franchises artists singers they all come and go but sport just stays and stays Mm. and stays I used to sort of make this joke that you could go to Vegas and you couldn't lay a bet that Major League Baseball would start on or about the 1st of April 2050 (laughs) because that's when it starts. (laughs) Guess what? It didn't start two years ago. It Mm. didn't happen. And no one was prepared for it. And so we, as much as any organisation, we struggled through it. We we were fortunate to be well capitalised and be able to look through the other side. But it certainly... It forced us to think differently about our business model. It forced us to, you know, reflect on how we could execute our business differently and know that there could be another pandemic coming our way or another black swan event. And so I think all sports have had to do that. And some have done a better job than others. You know, we, at the NBL, we didn't have a fire hose of money to throw at what we did, whereas the, in the AFL and the NRL, they could, you know, they could go to the bank and get half a billion dollars and hmm. and ride it out. You know, we had to get there by rubbing two sticks together. So, you know, and that's where I think the players in our in our league are conscious of the fact that we're still a, a rising product. And so they're prepared to bend it a little bit and play in Christmas Day games because hmm. we, we know we've got to go that extra yard and we've got to continue to do that. But we know it's a rising product. Our... Attendances are up, ratings are up. We are restricted by some venues, definitely. There's some the venues do fall to the smaller side. I think Illawarra, Cairns, Tasmania, are all less than five thousand people capacities. Mm-hmm. So we play in a different league in terms of what we can do in our building and the flexibility we have with that. But you know, at the end of the day, it's a you know we've got to you know consider this as a ten year hop of where we're at right now. We're certainly rising, and I think what underpins the the, the league is the growth of basketball. Mm -hmm. It's the one sport that's really exploding at a very rapid rate where other sports are experiencing declining registrations and participation. Basketball is increasing all the way. Mm, mm.
0: Indeed, Paul. Last question before we let you go. In that article I referenced earlier, that where in which you announced uh, the the Christmas Day game, yeah. one of the justifications for playing on the day was uh, you said, and I quote, "I know I'm sick of my family by dinner time." <laughs> <laughs> uh, just wondering how that went down, or or is that academic? <laughs> given you'll now be having Christmas dinner in Homebush this year. Well, I literally,
3: I, <laughs> look, <but> we <laughs> we uh, we I just came from dinner with my daughters. i got two adult daughters and. They, didn't, they wouldn't read the press release. I don't know what I say, but they, they, said, not. They, they said, yeah, isn't Christmas Day miserable? Like we get together in the morning with my ex-wife and we do our thing, you know, we, you know, we play, play nuclear family for a morning, but <laughs> I'm done by lunchtime. I can tell you they're done by lunchtime, so I'm well up for it. And look, I, I think there's a serious side of this is that, is that there's a social element to Christmas that's very challenging for some people. And you know, you know, we can consider the views of the Christian right and whoever else they may be out there. But there's a lot of people that aren't Christian that don't celebrate Christmas in the traditional mm. way, or or don't celebrate Christmas at all. You know, there's a lot of people that are simply lonely in this city. Yeah. And you know, the, you know, when you live in New York, you realize that you can be in the biggest city in the world and be incredibly lonely. And so, if we've got an outlet for people on a day like that, and you know, it's not it's well known that you know a lot of these. Um, you know, services organisations to support people who are having issues. That's one of their busiest times of the year. And if we can give them some, somebody go look. Let's go do this instead of sitting in at home looking at four walls. Maybe that's something. Maybe there's a good thing that comes from this as well.
1: Paul, mm. well, I think that's a wonderful sentiment. I think I think it's a good reminder about just the the power of sports administration when they think about the community and how they can contribute to the community. I think a, a lot of sports in Australia have have gone. You know, they think they've gone commercial when they go stone cold focused on the cash, but and a lot of them forget the grassroots and the community that they're supporting. So kudos to you. And no pun intended on the stadium. Uh, I wanted to uh, just, just uh, ask one little thing about for all of that. Why get into sports ownership? You've been in sport a long time. Mm. Why own a club in basketball in Australia?
3: Well a bit of curiosity. I didn't intend to own a basketball team. I actually the big dive I had at was buying the Dragons. I, I tried really hard to buy 50% of the New Georgia Laura Dragons. And, you know, that was a great disappointment we didn't get that deal done. At the same time, we were closing the deal on the acquisition of, at that time, 50% of the Kings. But I, I really wanted to investigate the ways we can reset the thinking around what team ownership in this country looks like. Having spent a lot of time in working internationally and looking at close quarters, team ownership in other markets, particularly in the United States, you know, there's a, there's a huge misunderstanding about what team ownership represents. And, you know, the the foundation of the financial success of sport in the United States from a team ownership perspective is not broadcast rights. They've come along very late in the piece. Mm. It's actually venue ownership. It's actually owning the rights and, and then executing those rights on a year-round basis. So, you know, where we're heading with basketball particularly is, you know, we don't see we don't see the, our ownership of the Sydney Kings and the Sydney Flames women's team. We're the only NBL team that owns a WNBL team, or we'll the only WNBL team that owns an NBL team, if you wish. <laughs> but you know, we take a very different view, but, but our view on basketball is very much framed around the culture of basketball. The, the Sydney Kings and the Sydney Flames represent the most visible part of the sport in Sydney in a professional sense. But... The way the sport functions, and it's the music, it's fashion, it's streetball, it's e-gaming, it's all range of things that sit around that culture of basketball, where we want to see our business evolve into a a 365-day-a-year business model that operates in many different ways and different touch points. And the, the, the pinnacle of it is when our team goes out to play. But the other six days and you know 22 hours that exist in the week, we've got other business activities going on, youth development academies, a whole range of things which we're executing right now. And we're, we're just starting to get all those boats away from the dock and it's the most exciting time for us. And so that's why getting into team ownership, it was being able to invest and own those rights and shape it, not being shaped by you know other people's views. We can do what we do go operate in the manner in which we operate and I pay the bills and along with my business partners and so shut up we'll do what we'll do and what we do and you know we'll, we'll take the consequences as they happen and 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 this Christmas day game is a very very good example of what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, look, Paul. I can't guarantee you I'll be watching it, but I'll be very curious to You'll see be watching, how it goes. I probably will. Oh, I'll be watching. actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll feel morally obliged up, now that I've, <laughs> we've had you in the
3: studio. <laughs> look, watching. I can't. I can't do three hundred thousand podcasts to get, get all everyone to watch.
0: <laughs> but Paul, really appreciate your time. Thanks <laughs> for no coming worries. to the studio. Join Good us. On Good on you.
1: Thanks. Larry.
3: Thanks very
0: Thanks, much, man. Paul Smith, there, owner co owner of the uh, the Sydney Kings, taking us through the the trials and tribulations of ownership, and also, of course, uh, talking about. The Christmas Day game for NBL in Australia. Mm -hmm. Cricket and uh, big news out of the UK recently with Ben Stokes announcing mid-series his departure from the English side. Well, the English one-day side, that is. Yes, he has brushed aside the 50-over game for the history and tradition of Test Cricket and the lifestyle and retirement funding machine that is 2020. It's not the first reminder we've had of the potentially precarious place of one days in the cricket world, but it's a, it's a pretty stark one, Jono. Yeah, it is. This one's got a lot of publicity,
2: Roachie, and I think deservedly so. It does send a real warning about the status of the, of the one-day cricket game as far as world cricket goes. Really interesting to see what Stokes said at the time that he announced his retirement. He says, I feel that my body is letting me down because of the schedule and what is expected of us. Mm. And you talk about, you know, him focusing on test match cricket and I think you said the money-making machine that is 2020. This isn't a case where he's taking megabucks from the IPL or anything like that because he doesn't actually play. He opts out of the IPL. He's opted out of the 100. So this is very much a situation where he wants to focus on test cricket, ensure longevity in his career. He's only 31. He probably wants to play test for another five years. And he'll play, you know, potentially some domestic 2020 and also international 2020. What does it mean about, you know, cricket, uh, one-day cricket? We'll talk about that shortly, I'm sure. But, yeah, serious, serious concerns for the game.
0: Well, I mean, let's talk about that now. Steve-O, I know you're a big fan of uh, all forms of the game. Uh, what's what's your take on on uh, what Ben Stokes's reasons for retiring from the 50-over side mean for that format?
1: Yeah, I think there's two levels to this one. The, the first one is a great story for Test cricket. As Simon said, mm. this is an endorsement of Test cricket as the premier form of the game as far as Ben Stokes is concerned. He's the skipper now so he's really making a statement that his place in history, his legacy, is determined by how well he leads the England team in Test cricket. So that's that is a wonderful thing for the traditionalists who uh, who follow cricket. Look, I think the second lens on this is that it is uh, an endorsement of something we've been saying for a decade now, which is that the 50-over game is actually the, the odd one out. You know, when the music stops playing, test cricket remains, T20 remains in, in certain forms, maybe not international form, but it remains – And one day cricket has no role. It has no place left.
0: Well, it does. It does have a place left, and it's going to survive for quite some time because it's the World Cup. It's the World Cup format, and that's what it'll ensure its survival. I I don't disagree with the points being made here. I don't disagree with the reasons for Ben Stokes. I don't think it's silly. It makes a lot of sense. But the reality is they've talked about having a test match World Cup, but it just doesn't work. It's not practical. T20 is still hit and giggle. The 50-over format is the one that's got the elements of – elements of of bash but still has an element of strategy to it and that's that's what will sustain it I- rightly I- or wrongly that's what will sustain fifty over cricket
2: yeah i disagree and i think there's a real risk that you know the 2020 world cup will Quickly overtake and surpass the, the 50 over side World Cup. You're 100% right that that is probably the only thing that's worth watching. Yeah. But you look at the one day game generally, there are some fundamental structural problems with it. It's a boring format of the game. There's too much.
0: Mm, disagree. Um,
2: there's too much, you know, examples. That middle part of the the one day game, it's completely boring. Like the first 10 overs can be great, the last 10 overs can be great. The rest of it is, I, I think, you know, a snore fest. I think you look at 2020 and the rise of 2020, You know that's shown that the shorter form game is what the younger people are more interested mm. in watching. There's no mm. doubt about that. And you look at scheduling. I mean, there's just too many meaningless bilateral one-day games that are, are played that people forget about. I think it's okay when you're talking about the popcorn, fast food version of cricket, which is 2020. But to use, if it was Riles' words, the odd one out, it, it really is. I think one-day cricket is the odd one out. And if you've got players like Usman Kawaja saying that, you know, even he's bored playing it, let alone watching it. I think that's that's is that's really telling.
0: Mm. I mean, again, I don't disagree with your points, but but Riles, I mean, I, I just think that that's what will sustain fifty over cricket for the foreseeable future, the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's, it disagree only because I think that people will lose interest in the the years in between. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me though if there's a little bit of creativity that comes into an alternative to the 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 World Cup. I mean, the, the beauty of the World Cup is that it does have some some drama, it's some of the ups and downs that you don't get in what you described as hit and giggle. I, I think there's an opportunity for two innings T20, mm.
3: which
1: which would be an interesting replacement to the World Cup. You can still get
3: mm.
1: you know eighty overs of of gameplay in. It can be a lot of bash because you know you can have your top batsman come in and have a second turn. So I can see something like that having almost a long form of the T20 game. That might you know be useful to play every one year, once every four years.
0: Has that been talked about? At all? It's, it's an interesting idea. Has that been talked about at all, or is this uh, a, a creation of yours?
1: Yeah, I think I talked about it about half a dozen years ago. No one's picked it up. So trademark, trademark, trademark. trademark.
0: <laughs> I like
2: the um, <clears throat> there was a quote from Simon Briggs in the Telegraph. We are witnessing the long slow death of fifty over cricket. Credibility is draining from this once vibrant format with each passing day. Like road atlases and SLR cameras, the traditional one dayer is now a heritage product of dubious relevance. When the fifty-over international turned fifty in January last year, it was the sort of birthday party where everyone crowds around a hospital bed. <laughs> Could not
0: agree more. Poor old nice. Kerry Packer. Well, it's not—I yeah. mean, not it's not Packer's invention, obviously, but it's, clearly it's his popularization of it. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I think it remains to be seen. I, again, I like the format, frankly, because it does introduce a bit of strategy and thinking ahead. T Twenty, it's just frenetic, and which I love, and it you know appeals to the masses and. You know, the audience profile in T20 is quite different. and You know, it's a feeder kind of thing. for It's a gateway drug for spectators. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I am agree with your point, John and There's lots of meaningless 50 over games. There's also lots of meaningless cricket by and large. But, yeah, I think it'll survive. I'm interested – getting off track a bit – I'm interested to see where this 100 thing takes root because, I mean, what we really need is another format of cricket. It hasn't seemed to have – escaped England yet in any meaningful kind of way, but I I don't know.
1: Tell me how one of the last bastions of imperial measurement you know, who still have all of their stuff in miles <laughs> and actually, you know, went to bat against the EU to keep, you know, ounces and pounds, decide they want a metric <laughs> alternative to cricket. Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> Good call. Maybe it's uh, the French have gotten their ears somehow. I, I don't know. I, I think we'll survive. Anything further on the point, Jono? We're oh, only going to go around in circles here, aren't we?
2: RIP one day or something.
1: Yeah, look, I want, just before we left cricket, I wanted to say something nice about Cricket Australia. You okay? Now, but before you ask, I'm... Fi- I'm feeling, yeah. Well, okay. After you ask, I'm feeling okay. Thanks for asking. Cricket Australia has done a good thing. And we've seen seen that by sending the Australian cricket team to Sri Lanka in a time of some unrest and disruption. The show did go on, and didn't the Sri Lankan people love the Australian cricket team being there?
0: Did they play
2: 50 over cricket? They did. Yeah, they did.
1: <laughs> Funnily
2: enough, won't say it was meaningless, Rocio. That'd be a bit, a bit uh, unfair and Not disrespectful to the uh, Sri Lankans, indeed. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I saw that, Rolls. I mean, the crowd wore yellow shirts and held up signs saying thank you to the Australians. I mean, the, the Sri Lankans are such a resilient nation, but but cricket team in particular. I mean, there's history of them doing well over the years. I think think they won the World Cup one year in the midst of a civil war. They reached the final of the 2002 Champions Trophy, I think, less than a year after the terrorist bombing at Colombo Airport. And then, as you say, they, they won that second test in the midst of, you know, regime change or a, the overthrow of a, a government, mm. which was happening you know three kilometres down the road. Just extraordinary scenes.
1: Yeah, and I think I think Sri Lanka is particularly sensitive. You know, that was the, the team whose bus got shot up in Pakistan in 2009. So maybe, maybe a cricket team is sacrosanct and that, that made our team safe despite all the, the, the unrest. But you know, I think in the past, the cricket Australia would have seen it as a big reason to steer clear, and they they got maybe they got good advice, and if they did, at least they listened to it, and the Australian cricket team did some good over there.
0: Fair enough. Well, good on the Aussie cricket team and good on cricket Australia, as you say, Riles. But um, look to return to where we started. Mark my words, while we have a fifty-over cricket World Cup and India Twenty Twenty Three. Namibia, Zimbabwe, South Africa in 2027, and Bangladesh, India in 2031 would suggest we've got it for quite some time yet. The death of 50 over cricket has most certainly been very much exaggerated. On to the shootout now, where we uh, cover a few more topics in shorter fashion, and fair Income, how did this get on again? Live golf. I know we've talked about it a couple of times. Actually... I wonder how many people know how Live Golf got its name. That the Live bit, obviously. In other words, I stumbled across this little fact recently. Steve, I was the lesser of the golfing fans amongst the two of you. Uh, Live Golf.
1: I, I, I take issue with the lesser of the golfing fans as the less detailed obsessive of the golfing fans. Yeah, he's I've lesser. got no idea. It's still less. No
0: idea. No idea. <laughs> no idea. Not even going to guess.
2: What does Live stand for? Come on. Uh, or
0: what's it mean? You know. What's is it golf golfing connotation? Oh. Is it some sort of Saudi word? Put him out of his misery. No, Ritchie. you put. Go on, Jono. Yeah, I'm itching to do it. You please do. Tell.
2: So live. I mean, because uh, the Great White Shark Greg Norman is such a ancient history aficionado, <laughs> it's a Roman numeral thing. So live is fifty-four L fifty IV fifty-four, and it's yeah. a fifty-four hole uh. golf tournament. Mm, isn't that ridiculous? It is, I mean, isn't it?
1: Oh. So it should be called. I L- should have got that. It's a, yeah, it was, it's a cryptic crossword of a of a of a name. That's fantastic. So it should be I called
0: liv Golf, presumably correctly. It really should, yeah. So guys, look. I mean, semi-seriously me here, we've talked about this a couple of times in the show before. At times when something seismic has happened, e.g., when the very idea came to light, and then when we had to apologise to the shark because it actually seemed like it got off the ground after all. But nothing has changed. So why did you both insist we talk about? It? I mean. I've even played golf since we last talked about it. Oh, ah, well, that's worth talking Corporate about. Corporate golf, uh, of course. So it doesn't really count, but I'm still nonplussed. Uh,
2: well, two things, Rochi. One, Henrik Stenson was supposed to be Ryder Cup captain for Europe, which is a massive non-paid honour. And he's pulled out of that and signed for the cold hard cash for live. So that's uh, a big development. And two, Cam Smith, who you know won the British Open uh, relatively recently. That should have been the main story. But unfortunately, the main story happened in his press conference afterwards where he was asked the, uh, the question, which was the elephant in the room, what about these rumours that you might be going to live? And he fudged the answer, which uh, sent shivers down the PGA to his spine. So, look, I mean, there are a couple of developments Rochi it is a big story it's civil war which we're watching happening for a major world sport and it's pretty bloody interesting
0: let me know there's an next time there's actually a big explosion rather than just another couple of inches one by one by Greg uh
1: this this Cameron Smith won't go Simon fear not uh he won't go I think this has been uh, why I really and I don't know maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. That he won't go. But I think an Australian wins the British Open. He becomes an absolute god in the Australian sporting pantheon. And he's going to throw that away for a few million bucks. I don't think he will. I just don't think he will.
2: Could be 130 million bucks. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> let's, watch, let's watch this
0: space. I might sign up for that sort of money. That's, actually. Like, that's
2: Aussie, not US.
0: Oh, still, it's good going.
1: Uh, if it's only 130 million Australian, then. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Good. I I think we've given golf more than enough time here. (laughs) Moving on to the it's not sport, but we like it file, hot dog eating. We've covered this epic pursuit, for want of a better word, before on the show, but um, Johnny, you were telling me in preparation for this this show uh, that you've become quite the expert in the hot dog eating contest caper since we last covered it. Um, Perhaps you can tell us more about major league eating and the legendary joey chestnut
2: yeah look i'm a big fan of mle and have watched a number of documentaries about uh you know major league eating why and look at I- I just enjoy eating a lot, and, and, true, I, f- true and true. I find some of these records quite extraordinary. So Joey Jaws Chestnut, uh-huh. uh, he won his record uh, 15th hot dog eating contest. It was 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes. It's a really big thing over in the US. It's always on the 4th of July, yeah. and the prize is a mustard yellow belt. And Joey <laughs> Chestnut had, you know, won it again. The thing with Joey, though, it's not just hot dogs. You know, he holds, I think, 55 (laughs) world records across 55 disciplines. Just Very briefly, Indulge Me Roach, there's a couple. So 32 Big Macs in 38 minutes. Wow. 141 hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes. I reckon that's the the serious one. Can you imagine? Just give me that number again. 141 hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes. Right. Just imagine that. Mm. What what that would do to you, um, let alone actually – Swallowing them
0: all. I think that's a secondary consideration, but anyway.
2: 82 tacos in eight minutes, 118 jalapeno poppers in 10 minutes, 182 chicken wings in 30 minutes. (sighs) Respect. I mean, I think I've done about 35 or 40, but not not 182. (laughs) The one record that I think that we could potentially challenge him on, and I was a little disappointed to read this, only 23 meat pies in 10 minutes.
0: Oh, that's rubbish.
2: I think so too. Oh, it does seem a
0: little disappointing. Get us over there. Uh, surely a few Australians could take it. Do the SEPOS have a different understanding of meat pies to what it. we do? So
2: yeah, so there is a reference to the size of the mm. pie. I'll have to call up
0: the It'd MLE have st- dot com slash eaters link It'd to have it have standardized, surely, for international competition purposes.
2: Yeah, but you know, Joey, what a legend. He's he's an athlete. I mean he's he's like um Tiger Woods, you know, Tom Brady. He's very versatile. He's a guru.
0: <laughs> very he versatile. Is, yeah,
2: and but he's he's the standout. He is the legend of his sport.
0: Steve, uh, what do you think? Twenty three meat I- pies? Could you could you could you do that in ten minutes?
1: I, I could not, but I honestly I I'm loving out of that crazy ridiculous list there was there was one about <laughs> the hard boiled eggs. <laughs> that Simon it's something had you, hard to stomach, so to speak. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You wouldn't Seriously. believe this
0: one. <laughs> the jalapeno poppers are fine, the tacos Oof. I can understand. Mm. Yeah, no fair. And I think there was a there was a women's competition that in parallel, wasn't there? And I think the lady who won it. Her fiance uh, was in the men's competition and came second oh, or something isn't like that. that beautiful. Um, but I I think I read that um, th- there was a general disappointment with this year's effort because the two winners didn't set record. The men's and the women's win- winners they they didn't even come close to their own record. Like yeah. they did enough. They just did enough.
2: Might have been a COVID thing. I mean, they're, they're out of mm. practice for a couple of years because I know the event didn't run yeah. in 2020 and it Correct. was a reduced. Event in 2021, they, they same conditions for there. all all competitions. Yeah,
0: no fair point. Joey's
2: maybe he's just losing his touch.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, there's uh, something for everyone to aspire to. <laughs> Onto to red card, yellow card. Uh, as we get towards the end of the show, we uh, enjoy dragging back into the spotlight some misdemeanors of sporting types across the field. of No, not on the field of play. Across the world, off the field of play. Absolutely, that was off the, point. the field of play. Yeah, correct. That's a whole idea. Uh, Steve-O, start us off.
1: I am nominating for a yellow card, Rick. Oh, you, you be the judge, the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. The Dallas Cowboys. They have recently announced a marketing agreement with... Black Rifle Coffee Company. No. Now, you might not think there's much to worry about here until you find out that the Black Rifle Coffee Company sell AK-47 espresso, <sighs> silencers, smooth, and murdered out, whatever that is. And I just, you know, with gun control or the lack thereof in the United States, poor form. Dallas Cowboys, yellow car.
2: particularly in Texas after what's Texas. been going
0: on. I think, I think that was part of the announcement was made only a few, well, maybe a week or so after that happenstance. No that, that happened
2: after Uvalde or whatever it was. Mm, yeah. mm. Not good. Yeah, in- I think yeah. that's red. Yeah.
1: yeah. Red yep.
0: card. And it's interesting because, I mean, the Cowboys don't lack for, you know, commercial support. They're the most valuable sports team in the world, I think, aren't they? They usually come top or very close to top of those those kind of lists. So, um, yeah, interesting. Oh, well. oh,
1: look, I don't, I don't doubt, I don't doubt that it works well for their fans, right? I mean, Texas and uh, Texans love their guns, and I suspect they love their metaphors. Uh, you're right. This was announced a week after the the big Chicago shooting, but yeah, I'm sure it plays to their fans. I just think it's poor form, and they should let that. Go. Actually, maybe I should take it back and withdraw the whole thing because this is not a very fun nomination. I'm sorry I brought the whole thing up. I'm sorry. I take it back. Well, I take it back.
0: It's it's on the table now, uh, Ryle. So we'll, let's we'll stick with the red card. But um. Jono, have you got something a little bit? Can you lighten the mood up a little bit?
2: Oh, of course I can. I've got rugby league. I mean, awesome. You're we always go sc- scraping the barrel with rugby league. So Kevin Proctor, Gold Coast Titans veteran, got himself into trouble during a recent rugby league match. He disappeared into the dressing room sheds toilets at half time. He proceeded. <laughs> this is to, not good. Well, he proceeded to pull out a vape. Could have been worse. Wouldn't have picked him as being a, a stick muncher. Apparently, that's the parlance these days. Is it really? Yeah, being a an e-cigarette.
0: Person. That's what the young people are saying, is I, it?
2: I hear that. Yeah, stick right. muncher. Anyway, so that was his first mistake, to indulge in a little bit of e-cigarette smoking in a no-smoking venue. His second mistake was to also pull out his mobile phone oh, and to film himself. Brilliant. So that was his second mistake, because there's a strict rule that players are not allowed to access their phones uh, 30 minutes before a game and during a game. So that's to avoid any connotations of gambling or any other improprieties. His third mistake, of course... Can I guess- was to post the video on his own <laughs> social media feeds with the caption, quote unquote, not the halftime vape. Suffice to say this didn't go well for Kev. He's been sacked by the Titans. It's actually pretty sad. Um he's had a, you know, pretty great career and this will be the end of it. He was only playing until the end of this year and out of contract him, isn't he? He is, yeah.
0: Mm. So no good. Or maybe the care factor was just... Uh, he knew it was the end, so the care factor wasn't high yeah, enough. Yeah, the was Gold little... not
2: going well. That could be it.
0: Mm. So, uh, yellow? I think yellow, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't deserve much more than that, really, yeah. does it? Well, look, I was i was hoping to go that that nominations. well, Jono. Stolen um, your thunder. Yeah, you have Sorry, a bit. Reggie. But I'll tell you what I do have in my back pocket in reserve is uh, Eddie Jones. After the third and final rugby international between England and the Wallabies, which, of course... England managed to hang on to and, and win that game, and therefore win the series. In the course of doing a sort of lap of honour, I suppose. And look, this is sort of literally on the field, but after the game, so I'm, I'm squ- squeezing in here. Had a little bit of a contretemps with one of the fans in the crowd who called him a traitor. Yeah, uh, you know, Eddie didn't like that, did he? He didn't. didn't. Take kindly. Yeah, and look, uh, which is understandable in a way, um, but I think my nomination is the fact that Eddie just took the bait. He bit and he bit hard. You know, he yell at come here and say that the good old fashioned come here and say that, knowing full well that a phalanx of security was between him and the uh, the offending person. And wouldn't
2: the easier answer be have a look at the scoreboard? You know? Good call. I don't good know, call. but yeah, he did take the bait. He's pretty fiery character, Eddie.
0: Mm. So he seems. So um, yeah, I think a. Yellow should suffice uh, for so. Freddie Jones in that one. Yeah, good eye. So, with the end of red card, yellow card, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of For and Against. Goodbye, Stephen Riley.
1: Bye, Paul. Goodbye, Simon. Goodbye, everyone.
0: And indeed, goodbye, Simon. See you, John. See you, Ritchie. Always good to be here. Take care till next time. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, you can get us on Twitter at For and Against underscore on Insta For dot and dot against. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, it's bye for now. We'll yeah. be